Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This week, this episode, we talk a lot about eating, actually. Yes, we do. Talk about Korean food, Mm -hmm. especially because Sean was asking about what my mom makes and what my favorite foods are. And then we jump into creative versus analytical sides of our brains. We talk about Sean and Servi meeting with over a hundred different mentors and how that actually benefits them by helping them refine their pitch. Mm -hmm. We also have to mention loving what is and how Sean uses inquiry to help him go to Columbia for a bachelor party. (laughs) (laughs) How to convince your wife that she should let you go to Columbia. Yeah. Using loving what is. Partially joking. Enjoy the episode. Everyone, welcome to the show. My name is James Park. And my name is Sean Lee. And this is week 17, episode 17, week 17, same thing. Yeah, we only miss one week. Yeah, it's true. Of our Startup Struggles podcast, we took one week off between Christmas and New Year. And just relax. <laughs> it's nice. Let's kick it off. How's your week, James? It was okay. I'll give it a neutral rating. <laughs> neutral is a win, right? Yeah, neutral is a win. I think I'm still getting used to getting back to my own schedule. My parents were here for about a month. It was just really nice because, you know, when they weren't here, we just barely ate stuff. We barely cooked or anything like that. Your mom's around and home cooking food. You got to eat all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So now I'm back to having the mornings where, you know, I I didn't eat breakfast before, before they're here. I just went right into writing and stuff and then had my first meal for lunch, but Yeah, I'm just getting used to them not being around and trying to get back onto a normal schedule, my own routine. So you're saying you're getting used to not eating breakfast again? Yep. Not eating breakfast, quicker meals, jumping right into things. I guess it was just a little different. I don't know what it is. Did breakfast help? Was breakfast good? Well, I like eating breakfast. I actually think it's my most favorite meal. But when I eat a heavy breakfast or eat something, it slows my thinking down for some reason. I can't write as well. Mm. That's like a weird, yeah. So when I don't eat in the morning, I just kind of have a tea or a coffee and then get right into writing. But if I eat breakfast, I feel very sluggish. I'm not sure why. Makes sense. I mean, your blood is being redirected to your stomach for digestion. (laughs) Yeah, and even for lunch, wouldn't eat anything pretty heavy, but delicious food all the time. You just, I just overate. I have to ask. So I just had some Korean food the other day. What's your top three favorite dishes from your mom? Oh man. So one of them would be this dish called kongguksu, mm. which is a, a cold noodle dish in bean soup, I guess that's the translation. Yeah. You put in like cucumbers and some cut up fried eggs and sesame oil with sesame seeds and the the beans. I don't know what kind of beans they are. I'll, I'll have to ask, but she grinds them, makes it into, 
I would almost say like a smoothie consistency. And then mm. you put in some water and then put in noodles and have it cold. It's a summer dish. Are they like buckwheat noodles or they like the, the name noodles? Yeah, you can use those if you want. I don't know what kind she used. Man, I don't know anything now that I think about it. I just eat whatever she puts in front of me. <laughs> I just eat it. <laughs> yeah, and it's so good. It's funny. I, I actually did not like that at first, but yeah, I don't think a lot of people actually really enjoy it. But it's like my favorite thing that she makes. I've got to say, I've never had that before. We did have some uh, bibin naemyeon the other day. What else? Nice. Okay, what else? Number two. Did you make a bomb kalbijim or anything like that? Well, she didn't make that this trip, but she does make really good kalbijim, which is, man, I don't know what the translation would, it would just be like braised. Braised beef. Yeah, braised beef. It's like steamed in a pot. Yeah, it's like a braised beef stew. Yes, I think it's braised. Yeah. <laughs> and it has like a bunch of vegetables in it, usually like potatoes and maybe some peppers. And that's really good. She's really good at making, um, say, her kimchi chige. Mm. It's like freaking delicious. I don't know if that would be like my top three, but that's up there. So also there is a dish in Korean called, oh my God, I'm totally blanking. Hold on. <laughs> it's called posam. So it's boiled tender pork belly. Wait, did you just forget the Korean name for that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot the Korean name for it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's served with like a nexo side of cabbage, I guess. Mm-hmm. And with some kimchi and peppers and garlic i think that dish is awesome it's so good she's good at making that too yep it's pork belly steamed cork pork belly wraps basically yeah yeah anybody who doesn't know korean food yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> i would say go try it it's like the bomb ass version of pf chang's lettuce wraps except instead of ground chicken it's pork belly slices yeah. <laughs> Have you had it before? Oh, yeah. Probably had it at like Hungari, right? No, no, no. Hungari has kalguksu. Uh, yeah, but Hungari has busam. It's really good. Oh, I've never had it there. I've only had it at um, Kobau. Kobau is like, have you ever been there? That's all they're known for. Really? Is busam. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's called Kobau. It's on um, Vermont and south of Wilshire. Okay. You've never been there? Maybe, but I don't remember going anywhere specifically to eat that. Oh, man, we got to go there. Okay, see you there tomorrow. We'll go there after this. <laughs> yeah, seriously, we got to go there. That's like one of Phil's favorite places. Like he loves Bosom and whenever we have Bosom, we just go. There. But you know what? I have never had it at uh, Hangari. The restaurant's called like Hangari Kalguksu. <laughs> so I go there for Kalguksu. Speaking of Hangari, there was like a copycat down here. There's like a, not a fake Korean town. I think it's a fake Korean town down in OC in Garden Grove because it's just not as authentic. And they had a Hangari and I went there and I was like, oh, this is like the same as the other place. Ordered it, tastes like garbage. Oh no. I was kind of really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard. It's hard to make kaiguksu actually. I imagine so. I think like having like really good noodles, just really fresh noodles and just having that broth is hard. Yeah. Just cooking in general. Cooking is just, if you're a chef, you can make delicious food. Hats off to you, man. I don't know, man. I think Korean food is like actually really hard to pull off. Versus Chinese food, everything is just like stir fried, right? Just fucking soy sauce, garlic, green onions, just stir fry that shit, call it a day. But it's like Korean food's like, I don't know, like whenever I try to cook it, maybe because I'm not Korean, but it's hard. It's hard to get it right. I can't get it right either. 
dishes like kaguksu, like kimchi jjigae, there's just something when it's made right. Yeah. It just, it's just so good. Yeah. What is my other favorite? Gamja gol. Gamja tang? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Dude, my mom made that too for the first time ever, she said, and it was really good. It was bomb? Yeah. So you gotta find the right cut of meats. You gotta like, ugh, just make it right. Seasoning right. Dude, I think Chinese food is actually pretty hard too. You don't think so? I think, I mean, certain dishes like Peking duck, you either make it right or you just don't make it right. Like, that's an art. But for most stuff, like stir fry, I think the ingredients are pretty straightforward. So it's just a cooking process, very straightforward. You just need high heat, hot oil, that's it. And everything <laughs> needs to like just cook instantly, pretty much in a wok. <laughs> Actually, a lot of Korean foods are cooked in stone bowls. Maybe that's just a secret. Yeah. Just stone bowl everything. <laughs> okay. Well, good week, everyone. <laughs> that's it for this week. <laughs> No, I'm actually like, I'm the same way about breakfast. Going back to breakfast. Like I do enjoy breakfast, enjoy good breakfast, but sometimes get lazy, which is why sometimes just like I start getting overnight oats from like the farmer's market, which I sometimes forget to soak like this morning to have that overnight. So I don't have any overnight oats. (laughs) So I need breakfast this morning and I just drink coffee. But I used to just tell myself like, oh, like it's the uh, intermittent fasting, right? (laughs) I'm not going to eat till 11. But then I do notice like I don't maintain a good weight. Like I tend to lose weight because I just tend to skip meals because I get busy, which is not healthy at all. And so I've been really for the past, I think five years, I've just been much more diligent about it. Like 10 years ago when I opened up the first co-working space and I was running like two startups at that same time, my body was like, was terrible. You're just not eating. I was just not eating. I was eating breakfast. I was eating lunch. I had the same mentality. And I'm not saying what you're thinking is bad, but I had this like terrible mentality at the time. I was like, I like would hold off lunch because I was like, I'm going to get tired after lunch. I know I get tired after lunch. and I, I have so much I need to do. So I'm just going to like hold off lunch. I'll be like two o'clock passes by and three o'clock passes by. And before I know, I'm like, fuck it. I just might as well go eat dinner. And I, I lost weight so fast. I was like down to I think like 145 where I'm normally like 170. Oh my God, dude, that's skinny. I looked like a fucking shell of a person. <laughs> and I had so many health problems at that time. Man, it was just thinking back. I was like, it was terrible. Yeah, if you're skipping meals because of work, it's definitely something's wrong. I was the same. For sure. It's like at startups, I would just forget to eat lunch. I would forget to eat just because I was working. Yeah. And you know, it's weird. At the time, I, I kind of didn't mind. I didn't want to take time off. But as I got older, you realize that you need that hour break, at least half hour, hour to recharge, reset, get your mind right before going back in. And you'll just be way more productive. Yeah. I think the hard thing is just not overeating. I think that's the trick is to eat enough and not continue eating until you're overly full. Yeah. Yeah. Because restaurants don't portion you or they don't make stuff to your portion, right? Like the cook in the back sound like, all right, James is here. He weighs about 165. I'm going to cook him this much food. Yeah. Ooh, that's actually an interesting problem. Yeah. Because it's also our minds, right? Our minds like don't tell us that we're full until we're... It is our mind. And there's, there's this social aspect of it, of like finishing your food, right? Especially, I don't think it's specifically Asian. It just depends on the family, how you're raised, right? I saw this Noom commercial that Noom app or service that helps you lose weight. And one of the ads was like, 
showing people that, oh, like you were trained as a kid to finish your plate, to clean off your plate, right? And actually as an adult, especially when you're eating out or ordering out, like that's a terrible habit because it just causes you to be overweight or be unhealthy. And yeah, there's definitely a social aspect, but it just gave me an idea. I was like, this is actually a pretty serious problem. I wonder if there's a way to solve it for someone creative or like an entrepreneur. I mean, might feel a little discriminatory, but let's say you you opt in for it, right? It's like basically being able to determine different portions based on your own needs and then pricing it accordingly. I don't know. Actually, that sounds pretty discriminatory. It's like, <laughs> you're skinny, <laughs> like half price. You only get half the, the portion. <laughs> no, but there's got to be a creative way. I mean, with technology today. Yeah, there has to be some way because a lot of people, like they'll order something, but it's just way too much food and it ends up being wasted anyways. And you're right. Like, why pay for the full dish if you can get a half serving of it and that's all you want? There are some pretty backwards incentives with restaurants. I know this for sure. Like McDonald's, like prices things at a lot of restaurants. I think this stemmed from McDonald's because they did the early research because soft drinks are so cheap for them. That's why it's like, if you order like a burger and fries, it's like, well, I don't even know what it is these days, like $8, right? But if you order a burger, fries, and a drink, like a meal, it's like $8.30, right? Yeah. It was like, ah, fuck it, 30 cents. I'm just get that extra medium-sized drink and 400 more calories. But part of it's like, because the incentives are so backwards, that's why they used to have the supersize me thing and like, most Burger Kings go big or something. But either way. Wait, do they not have those anymore? No. Oh. No, after that whole like supersize me like movie, that blasted that campaign was just like, it was just corporations trying to make a little bit more money because the incremental cost of them was so negligent. But the profits was like 10% more profits for them for like pretty much 0% more cost, 1% more cost or 0.1% more cost. I mean, you see this all the time, even in Asian restaurants. Like when I go to a pho restaurant, right? It's like a regular size is $10. A large size is 11 for like only a dollar more. Yeah. Might as well eat that extra. Yeah. Might as well get your values worth. You know what? Now I think more about it. It's like the whole buffet mentality. Like, can you ever eat your money's worth? <laughs> like, because what about your, your health? Yeah. Only maybe as like, as a high school kid or college kid. College kid. Yeah. Post-college living in K-Town, riding the wave of Korean barbecue, all you can eat ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just eating as much as you possibly can for two hours. You remember those days? Dude, it was always like enjoyable for the first three bites. And then you're just like, why am I doing this to myself? And the next day you just have like terrible runs, right? <laughs> or even like to five hours later. And it was like, why did I do this to myself? Because it's so good. I'm like a food processor, basically. Yeah. I'm like literally a food processor. Just a sink incinerator. <laughs> anyway. These are the struggles of our week. No, jokes aside. Or eating. Yeah, or not eating for in our case. But that's a really important topic, I, I do think. And it's something that I've always struggled with is just being balanced with food. Less so with food, actually more so with eating schedules. Like Mink is pretty adamant about this for me, where she's forced, not forced, she's strongly suggested. I just block out times like, Noon to one, lunchtime, six mm -hmm. to seven, dinner time. Like no meetings, nothing. And even lunchtime though, I have an alarm set every day at 1230. I just snooze it 
half the time. (laughs) It's pretty fucking bad. Like I have a block of time that's blocked out on my calendar. I have a fucking reminder. I still don't eat on time sometimes. And so what I've had to do is block out even more time, block out buffer time, right? Like before and afterwards. So there's no call that starts at 1130 that might run into my lunch hour. There's definitely no call that'll start at like 5 p.m. I've blocked out all my 5 p.m. calls. So it'll never bleed into dinner time. Do you think it's like eating at certain times? Do you think that it's a similar effect to your body as sleeping and waking up at the same time every day? Is it the entire like body rhythm that's important? I don't know. I mean, I do notice that if I eat a little bit later, I tend to sleep a little later, unless I eat a big meal and I just pass out after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that does affect my digestion a bit. Yeah, I do think there's definitely a rhythm. And, you know, the advice is to eat smaller portions more frequently, right? Which is something I do try to do, like have a bunch of fruits or snacks around, healthy snacks, like yogurt. Although there's there's also the crowd that eats all their portions of calories in a given amount of time, like the intermittent fasting group, right? Actually, my parents do that when they're at home. They eat only between 11 and 6 p.m., 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Yeah, that's what Ming's parents do as well. Yeah. And they say it's like really healthy for them. And I have a friend who eats his entire, all his calories in one sitting. Hmm. And he says it's worked wonders for him too. Maybe it's just about trying a bunch of these different things and finding what works for you. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure back in the day, like cave people day, it wasn't like, hey, Sarah does like, Hey, we hunted a lion today. There's what the sun is. <laughs> yeah, you, let's just eat it. You know, I was like, we had our catch for the day. That makes sense. Actually, I've never heard the one meal day thing. I just feel like I'll just pass out for the rest of the day, but that's pure speculation. I've never tried. So I should actually try the 11 to 6 thing. That's actually kind of interesting. I, I know Ming's parents do it for sure. I think there's like it's 10 to 6. Maybe it's like 10 to 5. Yeah, that's her schedule. I think it also depends just like when you go to bed. Yeah, that's true. It's funny, like going to sleep on a full stomach was such a good feeling, like high school, college. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, over time, like I, I hate it. I actually, I hate the feeling of being full, mm. like being really full. I don't, I don't like it anymore. It makes me really uncomfortable. Mm. And then going to sleep on a full stomach, I don't like that either because when I wake up, I don't feel good. Yeah. Do you not, do you feel fine after going to bed on a full stomach? Maybe it's just me. I think it's just me. Well, it depends on which side I sleep on. So if you do do that, you're supposed to sleep on your left side. What? (laughs) Really? Versus the right? Yeah, because the orientation, the angle of your stomach or something like that, you basically digest better if you're like sleeping, laying on the the left side. Oh. Something with the orientation of your stomach. Because it's not like flat, right? It's not like vertical either. It's like angled or something. Learn something today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to go eat everything I possibly can before sleeping. Yeah, and then sleep on the left side. Yeah. <laughs> left side does feel more comfortable. Or maybe it's just in my head. I have no idea. But that's what Mink told me as a medical professional. <laughs> uh, I believe her then. Yeah. Speaking of like left and right sides, can we talk about left and right sides of the brain for a little bit? Because mm-hmm. my friend Ron, what's up, Ron? He sent me this TikTok post about this guy who shows illusions. And you know, those illusions where there's two different, depending on what you see, you'll either see like a person or like a cat or something like that, right? 
for me, he sent this one image that was either a woman or a man playing a saxophone. Hmm. And if you saw the woman first, that means that your the right side of your brain is more developed. And that means that you're more creative and artistic versus the man in the saxophone means you're more left brain and logic is your strong suit and you're better at analytical thinking. And I wanted to bring this up because this kind of blew my mind for a little bit. I always considered myself a very analytical person. And more importantly, I never considered myself as a creative person or artistic Hmm. at all. When I saw this image and I saw this illusion and I saw the woman first, I was like, wait, so I'm I can be creative. I mean, I saw the man in the saxophone maybe a split second later. It's like, oh, I'm also analytical. But because I like was thinking about, oh, I can be a creative person, that really changed my own kind of mentality about what I'm trying to chase and what I'm trying to do and why I even maybe enjoying this podcast or why I even started writing. It's like this like part of me that was trying to reach out should be creative. And I have been telling myself this entire time that I'm not a creative person. And so the work I was doing was all, especially through my career, was like very numbers driven, very you know, looking at data. I feel like that's a big reason why I was so dissatisfied for a long time because I wasn't ever having an outlet for the creative side. It was just really interesting to me because I don't even know if this illusion thing is accurate or not right? Maybe it's not. Maybe there's studies that show that later on that actually it's all fake and it doesn't matter. But either way, the mind is such a weird thing. Once I told myself this, I started to become more accepting of myself of wanting to write more or wanting to do voice stuff or wanting to play the piano. There's just these like sides of me that I was like, oh, I'm okay with this. And before it was, I should always be locked into what I'm best suited at, which was just numbers and analytics. Hmm. And I think that forcing myself down this path was why I was so frustrated for a long time. It was like very eye-opening for me. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but... I think it makes sense too, because you know I've read books, I forget who wrote about this, maybe it was Malcolm Gladwell, but I've read books about how the education system was developed, right? The historical context of the education system the current education system, how it stemmed from like, I think it was like Europe, Eastern Europe in Byzantine. And basically it was like designed to just train and funnel people through a system and then to fill jobs for the economy, which there's nothing wrong with that. It sounds terrible, but it's just how things work. And, you know, even to this day, like it's kind of like the sorting system, like you're either creative or you're analytical and you're creative, go do this. If you're analytical, go do that. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're good at math and sciences, go like be a, I don't know, engineer. And doesn't account for like much else, actually. It doesn't account for creatives because there was no job for a creative really back in the day in the industrial age. And so, yeah, that was something that I was pretty cognizant of. I think early on, especially like going to college, that further reinforces what you're going to do after college. I graduated with a bachelor's in X. And so I'm going to go get a job in X, <laughs> right? And only until recently, I feel like in the past decade or so, have people bucked that trend and said, you know, like there's a UX researcher, uh, Cecilia, that we're working with. She's amazing. She studied accounting. She was a CPA. And then 
literally mid-career, she's like, I'm going to go be a UX researcher. <laughs> I'm going to go do UX. And what an awesome career shift. We're just like, that's awesome. And she's really good at it. Like she's really good at design. She's really good at research and interviews, customer interviews. And she's just really freaking good at it. She just started learning this like six months ago. Wow. And so, yeah, I, I think for a while now, I've stopped believing what society wants to prescribe me or label me as and just loving what is. <laughs> I just saw the book. I just saw the book on my table. Sorry. I had to bring that back in. So yeah, it's very true. I mean, we were born with no beliefs and then we are brought up with a lot of beliefs, some good, some limiting. I would say and they're not bad. And some are limiting in good ways. Like don't go like play with fire. <laughs> don't jump off of things. Unless you're a fireworks expert. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but these are limiting beliefs, right? And for the most part, they're intended to protect us in some way, shape, or form from danger and improve our survivability. But the world is changing. And I think it's dangerous to not question your beliefs or evaluate them from time to time. Yeah. And then the thing that's important afterwards is actually trying to find an outlet for both, for all your thinking, right? And I think a lot of times for me, I always thought that career was the only outlet that I actually ever had. I thought that my life was surrounded by only work and it was the most important thing. And I was hoping to get satisfaction from that. But as it wasn't satisfying, it's evolved to be work is not satisfying, right? But I don't think that's also true either, because I think there is some sort of satisfaction that has to come from work. I mean, if you're lucky and you're doing something that you really like and it's like satisfying, then that's great. But also there are people who are going to have to work for a ways of living, right? You just need to do it. But then the outlet has to come afterwards, right? And you have to be able to find something that is where your hobbies lie. Maybe it's like for family, you know, a lot of people, family is their outlet and they live for their family, supporting their kids or supporting their parents, right? And so there has to be a way to marry both together in a sense. I think the struggle for me has been that I've like separated in my mind somehow. And so that's been my huge struggle of trying to get back to work because I keep thinking that, oh, it has to be like the creative side of me that goes to work, right? And that's why I've been thinking, okay, like, going to voice acting, going to, I don't know what other creative things I've been trying to do related to making money. But at some point, I'm also very good at analytics and I have to accept that. And I should use that to my advantage yeah, and not be dissatisfied with it. And so I think that was like the big revelation that's been happening over the last, I don't know when Ron said this to me, but just the last like 10 days, I've been thinking a lot about this. I mean, yeah, it's your brain's not mutually exclusive. It's not like right or left. You actually operate in both spheres. Right, exactly. Similar in, in life, like it's not an either or. I feel like that's where maybe personally I've been able to overcome it because I've been able to find a lot of examples in my life where being both analytical and creative to set intersection has helped propel whatever it is that I'm doing. Like this podcast, like podcasting in general, being analytical in how I conduct interviews and strategic about how I teach myself things to improve my production skills and things like that, to then just switching over to the creative side and being open to listening and 
asking questions and just being present. I wouldn't even say that my other jobs weren't creative. I definitely had very creative moments of doing things a completely new way, right? But I think it was also, I think it was just myself telling me that this wasn't creative and that it wasn't satisfying to me, mm. right? And so yeah, if I could go back, maybe I could find some way to have enjoyment of being able to say that, okay, this is work, but it's also, I can be very creative. I'm developing a new way to do this type of work. I'm um, building teams like that in a way is like very creative. And so I think it's just really about how you tell your narrative. How do you tell the story to yourself? Yeah, I wouldn't entirely put it on you either as a leader. It's something I think about a lot. It's also like, what kind of environment do we foster for our team members and, and whatnots to give them that flexibility or freedom to feel like they have that autonomy to be creative, right? Versus saying like, all right, here's a list of to-dos and this is what you have to do, period. You know, what I'm trying to say is it's a two-way street. It's both a, a factor of your own internal mindset and also a factor of your work environments. Like, do they foster or promote creativity and out-of-the-box thinking? And do they welcome new ideas and voices? Do they ask? That's something we're pretty conscious about, Servia and I, is like, even though we're the founders of the company, it's like, we keep it pretty flat. It's like, your opinion is just as good as mine. <laughs> and I am not infallible. You know, I am wrong most of the time. <laughs> so, and I tell people that. It's the only way to grow the company. It is. It really is. So yeah, I think there are definitely some corporate cultures or organizational cultures that don't foster that. They have a very top-down organization. That's good. That's good to hear that you uncovered that. That's really helpful. Yeah, it's been interesting. Speaking of Servi and Clever, what's been going on with you guys the last week? Yeah, yeah. We just been busy with mentor meetings. Techstars has us like meeting with a lot of companies. It's like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays for a month. Is just dedicated to back-to-back meetings with potential mentors. And they call it a mentor dating madness thing, where you're trying to find a good match with a potential mentor for the program. Oh, cool. So yeah, that was a huge part of the week, just back-to-back-to-back-to-back calls on top of business calls and client calls and development. Is it individual? So you and someone else as a mentor and then Servi has another mentor, or is it you two combined? Us two combined. Yeah, we meet with the mentors together. Although sometimes on the other side, it's like one of their the companies, like Sony or something, right? There's like four people that show up from Sony. And the whole idea is like you're trying to maybe find one or two of them that might be a good mentor. And they have to be interested in you as well. It's like a two-way street. So we have like 100 plus of these mentor meetings. <laughs> We're supposed to meet over like 100 people. Jeez. In the next month, that's a little crazy. And they're like 20-minute calls, so... 100 times 20, that's 2,000 minutes. How many hours is that? It's like 33 hours worth of calls. Dang. Well, I mean, mentorship is so important. So that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty good. I'm pretty appreciative of it. It's just very exhausting to pitch the company that many times. Hey, but you get to refine the pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, which was interesting. So that was what's funny. That was a kind of interesting development. We had a call with Andreessen Horowitz on Friday. And just two other investor calls that day as well. And I was like, ready to go, <laughs> you know, because 
Servi was pretty stoked about it. And I purposely, I told Servi, I was like, I told him afterwards. I was like, I'm just not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm not going to psych myself out. It's freaking Andreessen Horowitz, the most famous yeah. <laughs> like VC firm, short of like Sequoia and Cell and some of these other big ones. But this is like our first big tier one investor call. And, and it went great. Awesome. It was amazing. And it's because I'd pitched like 20 times that week. That you know? <laughs> by the time like we had to talk to them, I was like, I knew exactly what to say and when to say it. And, and it was great. That was that. Maybe that's also one of the reasons why they have so many mentor calls. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, you're going to refine your pitch over 33 hours of practicing. And like, that sounds miserable. But instead it's, hey, you're going to go look for a mentor. And exactly. In order to do that, you have to pitch your idea. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh. Oh, then we had calls beginning of the week to prepare us for the mentor calls. And then we had to refine the deck. That's right. We worked the deck or parts of it. It was a pretty long week when I look back. But otherwise, everything was good. I mean, you know, there were definitely some struggles, but they were pretty... When I look at things now, I mean, they're pretty benign struggles. Struggled a bit just with balance last week around food and everything and eating, spending time with family, obviously. And then on that note, too, like I struggled a bit because... One of my buddies, you know, is having a bachelor party in Colombia, and I finally found some time to book some tickets to go. <laughs> it's like it's in March, Colombia. Wow. Yeah. And I sent the tickets to Mink, and she was like, "Wait, are you really going to Colombia?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and she was like, "You're gonna get mugged, shot, killed, stabbed, drugged <laughs> all at the same time." And I was like, "You know, this is not my first time going to another country." And I was like, shouldn't we have talked about this before? It's not like I didn't mention that I was going to Columbia. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, I didn't think you were going to go. I didn't think it was going to happen because there was a wedding in Bali that got canceled in April. And she's like, I thought, you know, these countries are going to shut down again. And it was just not going to happen. I was like, well, <laughs> bought the tickets. It's happening. <laughs> and then she was like, well, it's only a $400. Like, I'll pay for you not to go, you know, like I'll buy the tickets. I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to go and go uh, to my, one of my best friend's bachelor parties. Just to hang out with them. It's going to be pretty tame. We have 16 guys going, which that's a lot of people committed to going to Columbia. <laughs> I know. I think I know why. But she was like, oh, that sounds even more terrible because then like you guys are going to get be targets. You guys are going to get lost. I was like, I actually don't know like eight of the other guys. It's probably going to break up in small two groups anyways. And I was like, Connie, my buddy Steve's fiance, her brother's going, his brother's going. So it's going to be like a bunch of like family going pretty much. Oh, so you can't not go. Yeah, I can't not go. Plus we're like staying in Cartagena. It's like an old town. It's walled off. My other friend who actually went two years ago, he was like, I was like, yeah, it's like Disneyland. <laughs> it's pretty much, it's like really safe. <laughs> oh, okay. And I told Mink that and she was like, I don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but I applied loving what is and and I was just like, all right, clearly I feel some angst about having this discussion. It's just like, we should have talked about this. And I was like, should we have talked? Is it true that we should have talked about this beforehand? I was like, no, it's not true because we didn't. <laughs> so that's not the reality. But I didn't say that to her, obviously. But I was like, you know, instead of reacting to her, she's going to feel the way she feels. Like, I had to ask myself, like, is it true that she shouldn't feel the way she feels? It's like, no, it's not true. She feels the way she feels. She's allowed to. She's just worried. She's worried. Yeah. And she's, you know, saying stuff like, you know, I don't want 
Miles not have a father, <laughs> like stuff like that. Yeah. Pure extrapolation, but yeah, very extreme, but very extreme, but very valid at the same time. Yeah. Right. Could happen. Very rare case. I mean, kids die at Disneyland all the time. Just kidding. <laughs> I could also just cross the street, get hit by a bus, you know, so anything could happen. So it's not invalid. So I'd ask myself, is it true that she shouldn't feel the way she feels? And I was like, no, it's not true. She has an absolute right to feel the way she feels. And that really diffused, like that always, by always, I mean lately, diffuses my internal conflict of like, why is she like so crazy? Like, why is she thinking like so extreme? Mm. And like, those are the stories that I'm telling myself that she's being extreme. She's being crazy. She's being unreasonable. And it stops that narrative, right? And that opens up so much room for possibility to be like, hey, listen, like, I'm going to be safe. You know, I'm going to make sure that we like are responsible. Like we like hang in smaller groups and then we like have a plan set out. I'll, you know, email you our itinerary, whatnot. So you know where we are, where we're supposed to be and do check-ins. When, like that is the solution, right? That's probably what she wants to hear so that she doesn't have to be too concerned about the situation. And I know that's what she wants here because we've had this argument before. <laughs> Is that the first time? And that's what she's told me before. She's like, you know what you should have said? Because after the fact, when we do a postmortem, it's like, what shouldn't, you know, how could we have improved that conversation right, or avoided that conflict? And she would be like, oh, you should have said this, 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 like came up with like a plan of like how you were going to communicate with me and keep me informed or whatnots or just, you know, let me know that you're going to be safe and that you're not going to be an idiot and get your shit stolen and end up in jail, which has <laughs> happened before. Not the jail part, but getting my shit stolen. Yeah, San Francisco was unavoidable. They'd broken that car. That happens to everybody. It's like a rite of passage for San Francisco. But Mexico City, I did get my bag stolen with my passport. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. But luckily it was in Mexico City. So there's an embassy there. So I can easily get it replaced within like the day. Oh. I think the reason 16 guys agreed to go to Colombia was... A, people are getting tired of the pandemic and they just want somewhere to go. And B, it's like a destination spot. It's not like, hey, let's go to Vegas. Like, pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, when would you ever get a chance to go to Colombia? This is the crazy thing, James. That's what I thought too. But after I shot for the tickets, initially I looked on it as an American. I looked on like Delta and American and they're like 13, 12-hour flights across like to Atlanta or to Miami down to Colombia. And then I like saw the Copa Airlines. <laughs> it's like eight hours, like six hours to Panama, an hour layover, and another hour from Panama to Cartagena or Medellin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, it's that convenient and that cheap. It was $400 round trip. That's really weird. That's like cheaper than flying to Michigan. It is. I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> like Detroit cost me like five, $600 to fly. Yeah. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. And then Panama, if you fly Copa, I think Copa Airlines is Panamanian. It has to be because there's an option, literally a checkbox, if you want to have an extended layover. Oh, so you can like layover for like two days or a week. Nice. <laughs> Just check the box. Six for Panama for a bit. Exactly. Yeah. So think about it. Look into it. It's 400 bucks. Okay. I'll see you there. Yeah. <laughs> after we eat Hungari Karuksu. Yeah. No, no. After we eat Kobau, Bolsam. Oh, sorry. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Got to go there. Yeah, gotta go there. No joke. If you like post, I can't believe none of your Korean friends have taken. I'm like ashamed of them. Like nobody's taken you there. Like, like Eric has never taken you there. Maybe someone has, and I just it just didn't really register. Because 
I like eating food, but I lean more on the side that food is sustenance versus eating for pleasure. Yeah, but there's some places like, all right, look, I'm not a huge buff about Michelin restaurants. Like, I fucking hate that shit. Like, I hate Michelin restaurants. Because to me, like... But you still go. No, I, I try not to go. Like, I only go because, like, a friend or someone is like, hey, let's go to this place. I booked us a reservation that took us, like, six months to book. And I'll be like, all right, I'll tell you why I don't enjoy it. Because I go there. You get 16 courses of, like, these amazingly delicate dishes. But literally, like, it's just so much food that by the end... I'm just like, I don't remember anything. I just don't remember a thing. <laughs> it's like eating omakase sometimes. Like expensive, it's delicious, but it's just so much food, it's unenjoyable at a certain point. But like certain places, like Kobawu, they just make one dish really fucking good. Just like, dude, oh my God, I'm salivating as I'm talking about this. The Kalbichim place. Kalbichim's the most famous place in Cape Town, in my opinion. Well, from what I heard too, and in my own opinion is, oh my gosh, what's that restaurant called? It's on 6th Street. It's a super Korean name. Oh, is it the place Songnongdang? Exactly. Exactly. You know it. You know, it's like, that is the place for it, right? Yeah. Man. You know, I was just looking up Kobo, and I think I have been here. I think my brother took me. Okay. Okay. You. There's no way. <laughs> it's just, if you're Korean, and you've been to K-Town like more than once. There's just <laughs> no way you have not been to these places. Oh, man, I'm going to K-Town. I have to go see Andy anyway. I haven't seen him in like two years. <laughs> I only see him on Twitch. <laughs> We're like best friends on Twitch. <laughs> yeah. So our most relationships with Andy. Oh, these days. I just like, that's what I hate about technology. I, Andy was one of the people when, it, when I was quitting Instagram, right? There's like a few friends that like literally I follow up with on Twitch. Like Andy, my buddy Steve. There's like a couple people that are just like, they're such regular posters. I'm just like, it's a great way to keep up with them. And then I was like, I'm quit Instagram, right? I'm stop using it for a month or now it's like two years. And I would like start text Andy. I'll be like, hey, what's going on? He's like, check out my Instagram. I'm like, no, I'm not fucking check out your Instagram. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, tell me, talk to me. Like, have a conversation with me. Yeah. I have a similar relationship with him like that. Yeah. Where it's just, I'm not on social media anymore. Like, okay. And we just won't talk. Like, oh, all right. I was like, no, I'm still going to pester the shit out of you and, and text. I'll just go pester you on, on Twitch, I guess. I think that's about it for this week. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.